welcome to the Life Church Podcast. We're broadcasting from Coralville, Iowa. For more information about Life Church, to watch a live stream, or to find a campus near you, go to lifechurchnow.org. Well, listen, we're in this series called Greater, where we've been um, basically talking about faith. And last week, we kicked it off. I tell you what, I'm excited about where this series is going to take us. And actually, where this season that we're in right now, this is not an unusual thing for us to dedicate the first part of a year to, uh, uh, you know, just really honing in and pressing into God and asking God for direction and 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 doing some kind of personal inventory of where we are and how we need to change. That's all very common, especially right around the new year. We always do that. But um, there's something unique about this particular year as we kick off this 21 days, as we last week kicked off this 21 days of prayer and fasting, and then also um, this series that we're in on faith. I just think that God is doing something. He's preparing us. So we, we defined faith last week as seeing the way God sees, seeing the way God sees. That's what faith is, is that we look at a situation, you, uh, you look at a situation and it seems like an impossibility. It seems like a challenge beyond your abilities. And through your eyes, that's what you see. But through the eyes of God, the way God sees it, it's a possibility. It's a miracle waiting to happen, you see? So we define faith as seeing the way God sees. And I challenged us last week to see through the eyes of faith as opposed to the eyes of fear. Fear has a way of paralyzing us. Fear has a way of when we, when we look at a situation, a challenge in front of us or, or an obstacle that we need to, you know, need to go over or go around or whatever, when fear steps in, it paralyzes you. And you know that. We all know that. We've been in those places where, where we, there was a challenge in front of us and we felt paralyzed. I remember the first time I was going to jump off of a, of a high dive of a pool. And I mean, I, long line of kids. I'm at the Clayton military, it was an uh, army base in Panama, and I climbed up to the top part of this high dive, and I'm going to do this. I was, you know, I was just mustering all the courage I could possibly to be able to jump off this high dive, and I get to the edge of that thing, and I look down, and all of a sudden, I felt like I was 20 stories up in the air. I mean, I was so high, and it was a really high dive. I mean, it was probably like eight feet off the ground, <laughs> but, but it felt like it was 20 stories up there, you know, and I mean, I was like terrified, and you know, there's kids behind me, and I didn't want to jump, and I was trying to make my way off, and there's this one guy standing and says, there's only one way down, it's not this way, <laughs> so I had to jump off, you know, and that's what fear does, fear paralyzes you, and honestly, it wasn't that big of a deal. You can jump off a high dive, it's not a problem at all. But fear, just the notion of it, causes us to just pause and to be paralyzed. But living a life of faith will set you on a trajectory of adventure, of abundant life, of discovering God potential in your life. And so I believe that God, God has some incredible things for us to do. He's got an incredible work for us ahead and so we're, we're going to, today we're going to talk a little bit about vision as you see forward. And it's difficult to talk about vision of the future because when most of us live in the now. Some of us live in the past, okay? Few of us, very few of us actually live in the future. 
Most of us, let me say that again, most of us live in the now. So when we start talking about future vision, it's difficult to see it because what you see is what's present. And what's present tends to define everything about your life. In fact, it also defines what you see as tomorrow. Some, because of hurt, because of brokenness, because of who knows what, manage to live in the past. And a lot of their past informs how they see their today and how they see their tomorrow. So talking about vision is not an easy thing to do because it's, it feels like we're just, you know, grasping for something out there, you know? It's kind of like looking at a, little, at a little caterpillar and wondering, man, that ugly caterpillar, how is that ever going to turn into a beautiful butterfly? It's, it's hard to imagine it, Right? But, then, but, it, but if you've ever seen the process of metamorphosis, and you know, I've not actually seen it like actually happen out in the wild, but I've seen it on TV, of how they, that, that caterpillar cocoons. It's just miraculous how that happens, and then he ultimately comes out as a beautiful butterfly. If you have that image in mind, that's exactly, that's exactly what God is trying to do in your life. He's in the process of transforming you. In fact, one of our values here at Life Church is, is it's never too late to become who you might have been. We use that language very, very specifically and very intentionally. It's never too late to become who you might have been. And the reason we use that language is because too often we, we, go, we start out life with amazing dreams. Man, we're going we're gonna to do this and we're going to do that. And then something happens. Maybe it's a divorce, maybe this or maybe that, and something gets interjected, and at some point in your life, you decide, okay, that was an amazing dream, but that's never going to happen. Now I'm just living my second best, and I'm just relegated to the rest of this life, just wishing that I had never done that, wishing I had never gone there, and wishing I had never done this, when, real, when the reality is, is it's never too late. In God, it is never too late to become who you might have been. God is in a process of transforming you. Do you realize that? Each and every one of us, when we come to God, when we're lost and disconnected from God, we come to God, we bring a bunch of broken pieces, a bunch of junk. And God takes that and he makes it something beautiful. And as long as we stay in God's hands, he keeps transforming it and making it into something. And not only is it something beautiful, it's something that impacts this world. It changes this world. And that's what God is doing. He is transforming your life. I feel like right now, that's where we are as a church. God is in the process of transforming us. He's transforming us. In fact, there's a word that's been kind of floating around in my head last uh, couple of weeks, months, a little over a month now, and it's this word pregnant. Now, I, you know, you ladies, some of you ladies, you, you identify with that. Maybe, maybe you started twitching when I said it. I don't know. Um, Guys, we, we, tr we try to identify with it, but we really have, we fail miserably at trying to identify with you ladies. We, we do stupid things like compare ourselves, compare something we've done to childbirth, and you women just look at us and roll your eyes like, yeah, right. You just, anyways, I don't even need, need to say more about that. But I feel like that's where we're at as a church. That this very moment in time, we are pregnant. We're pregnant with possibility. We're pregnant with potential. And that's what it is. And God wants to take us there. In fact, this whole thing just kind of reminds me of a passage in, in Joshua. We're going to be looking at Joshua chapter 3 today. But it reminds me of this passage in Joshua. Last week, we talked about the children of Israel leaving 
Egypt and wandering through the wilderness. The reason they wandered through the wilderness is because they got to the very edge of the promised land. Twelve spies were sent in. Ten came back with a... They came back with a positive report about the promised land, but they came back with a negative report about their possibility, about their potential to actually take the promised land. You see, while they were in Egypt, they were physical slaves. When they left Egypt, they were no longer slaves, but they were still enslaved in their mind to fear. And for 38 years, they had to wander in the wilderness before they, once again, we now find ourselves once again here in Joshua chapter 3, at the very edge of the promised land, ready to enter in again. In fact, it says in Joshua 3, 5, I'm sorry, verse 2, after three days, the officers went through the camp, this is uh, Joshua is now in charge. We'll get more, say more about that in a second. It says, after three days, the officers went through, throughout the camp, giving orders to the people. When you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God and the Levitical priest carrying it, you are to move out from your positions and follow it. Now I read this verse and you're thinking, what in the world does that have to do with anything? Well, the Ark of the Covenant actually has some significance. The Ark of the Covenant actually represented in the Old Testament the presence of God. That as long as the Ark was with the people, they knew that God was with the people. Right? And so in this particular case, they're saying the, the Ark of the, the, the Covenant is here. It means that God is present. And as it moves, God is leading. We're following his presence. In other words, God is going to speak to us. God is speaking to us. He's speaking to us as a collective. He's speaking to you individually. And he's calling you out. He might be calling you to do some pretty crazy things. Like us, he called us, you know, in California, come start a church in, in Iowa. We'd never been to Iowa, right? That was kind of a crazy thing. He might be calling you to do something crazy, and, and you may be tempted to do the, not do that crazy move because, after all, it is kind of crazy. It's, it's not normal. It seems unnatural. And yet what this story tries to tell us is that we can actually trust the promptings of the Holy Spirit. We can actually trust God in leading us. Even if what he leads us into it seems absolutely ridiculous. We can trust him. That's what this story is really talking about. Verse 4, he says, then, talking about when the ark starts moving, then you will know which way to go since you have never been this way before. When I read this passage, when I started reading through this passage again, and I started preparing for this message, and then I read it again this week, this hit me. I mean, I feel this line, you have never been this way before. For the last year, the church has been like in chaos. <laughs> not really, that's not true. That's, a, that's a not, not, a, not a right word to describe it. We have been trying to figure out, God, what is it that you're doing and saying as we navigate through COVID? Like right now, you know, we have about 30% return attendance from pre-COVID. About 30% have actually started coming back to public services. And we've had to start rethinking and redefining what does it mean to do church? We've never been this way before. We've never been down this road before. God is doing something new. There's something new ahead of us. We don't know exactly what it is. And so we're asking ourselves a question. What does a post-COVID church look like? And he's leading us. And so here's the thing. We could be afraid. We can look at the future and be terrified of what the future might look like. 
Well, we can say, God, you're leading us. We're going to trust you. And even if it seems crazy and ludicrous, the direction we're going in, God, we're just going to trust you because we know that you're leading us. That's really what he's telling us in this passage. Then this next verse is, is really for us. This is the verses I want to land on today. In fact, when I read it this week, I found in this verse a command and also a promise. And I don't do this often. I, I mean, just hear me out. I, I don't often um, preach a message. I mean, I've, I'll, I preach a message every time knowing that God is speaking to, to me and to us, to all of us, right? But I don't often preach a message where I feel like this is a word for right now for Life Church, for you and I, okay? And I believe that this is what this passage, this verse that we're about to read is. It says, Joshua told the people, talking, talking to the people of Israel back then, Verse 5, Joshua told the people, consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. Consecrate yourself, for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. Now, when I say, when I end that verse, the Lord will do amazing things among you, that's, that's appealing, right? Like, we all want amazing things. But we're not all very excited, t- typically, about the consecrate part. That's the part that tends to, you know, snag us up a little bit. But this is what the Lord is saying. He says it to them, and I believe he's saying it to us today, right now. What is it, January 7th? Say January 7th? No, January 10th. Oh, I know. I had, I'm not even looking at my watch during this fast. What are you talking about? (laughs) No, January 10th. I had seven in my mind because I was talking about our seven days of fasting, Good excuse. (laughs) That's what God is telling us today, January 10th, 2021. Consecrate yourselves. Consecrate yourselves. For tomorrow, the Lord will do amazing things among you. He goes on to explain, you know, what needs to happen as the children of Israel have to pass into the promised land, possess the promised land. It starts with consecrating themselves. It starts with consecrating themselves. Then they cross the Jordan River. Look what it says in verse 11. It says, see, I remember at this point right now, the Jordan River, if you read a little bit, a few verses before that, the Jordan River is at flood stage right now, okay? So normally there's, often often it is the case at the Jordan River that you could just walk across it because it's very shallow. That's normally normally the case. But there's seasonal where it's it's actually flooded. So it's at flood flood stage right now. It says, see, the ark of the covenant of the Lord of all the earth will go into the Jordan ahead of you. In essence, God is leading them, right? God is in front of them. Now then, choose 12 men from the tribes of Israel, one from each tribe. And as soon as the priests who carry the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, set foot in the Jordan. So see, hear what's going on. They're going to cross the Jordan River as soon as those who are carrying the ark, set foot in the Jordan, its waters flowing downstream will be cut off and stand up in a heap. And so God's going to stop the flow. Now let me ask you a question. Does this story sound familiar? Yeah, you can yell it out if you know. Does it sound like something else? Like the parting of the Red Sea possibly story? Right? There's a lot of similarities, a very similar story. In fact, you know, I know that sequels oftentimes can be, you know, like not as good as the first, especially if the main characters are no longer there. It's just, ah, what a, you know, like I'm not going to watch Fast and Furious 33 anymore. You know, that's just so, it's just no, no good. It doesn't compare to the first one, right? 
But this particular sequel is just amazing. It's full of suspense. It's full of intensity. You see, it's the Jordan River. The Jordan River is different than the, the Red Sea. Joshua was a, different than, was a different leader than Moses. The people were a completely different group of people. Those others died off in the wilderness. But here's what is the constant. God is still the same God. Amen. And that's the point of this whole story. Is that God never ceases to lead us. And he will lead us into the future. And sometimes we've never been there before. It seems like it might be impossible. But God will always be there. These are parallel stories. And the constant is that God is there. God is still the same God. He's still leading them. Now it starts off. Joshua, the whole book of Joshua starts off with Moses dying. And this is actually a very scary moment for Joshua. I mean, Joshua... I mean, Joshua has only ever lived with Moses hearing from God. And now Joshua is the leader. Joshua knew that God was with Moses. Joshua witnessed it. Joshua saw it. He saw his face glowing with the presence of God. He saw all of that. He knew that about Moses, the, the relationship of Moses and God, but he wasn't too sure about his own. And now here he is leading this huge number of people and he is the leader living in the shadow of Moses. I mean, he's terrified. He's shaking his boots. It's so, so much so that God has to say to him multiple times, hey, Joshua, do not be afraid. Do not be. Why is God telling him not to be afraid? Well, because he was afraid, right? He was terrified. And I suspect that some of you right now, as God is speaking to you about your next step, about what, what's going to happen in your future, the amazing things that God's going to do in your future. As God is speaking to you about that, you might be a little bit afraid as well. And God says the same words to you. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. You see, in this moment, Joshua has this opportunity. It's an opportunity to step into a brand new arena of life, an opportunity to exercise a faith that is his own, not Moses's, his own, right? He's no longer living in the shadow of Moses. He is the new Moses, basically. And God is leading us that way. He's leading you. He's leading us as a collective. So God says, and we're going to do things a little bit different this time. This is what we're going to do. You're going to, you're going to have these people gathered together. They're going to have the Ark of the Covenant, and they're going to step into the water. When they step into the water, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to stop the water from flowing. It'll stand up on it like, like a wall, as it says. Now, when, when God says this to Joshua, I, I just imagine Joshua. I just see it. Joshua's like, well, wait a minute. Why are you doing it that way? I know how you're supposed to do it. Remember? Like, like Moses, he just had this staff, and he just raised it up, and God, you just did everything. Why, why can't you just do it that way? In fact, I think you should do it that way, God. It's just a better way. And I think that's oftentimes where we are. Oftentimes what we do is we, we have imagined how God should do it. And we're convinced that that's how God should do it, and yet God is taking us down a place we've never been before. And so I could just hear Joshua having this argument with God. He's like, yeah, Moses, he just told us over and over and over again about the story of the parting of the Red Sea. I mean, he was just constantly talking about it. They even wrote a song about it, the horse and a rider falling. I mean, there's even songs written about this. He just constantly talked about this. And it's no wonder that Moses did because it was a huge thing, wasn't it? God really moved as he set them free from Egypt. And in case you're critical on Moses on that, some of you, you're still talking about things, right? Like you're still talking about that touchdown pass you caught like 30 years ago in high school. 
It's no wonder he was talking about it. Of course he was talking about it. There's something, there's something important about telling stories of what God has done in the past. I remember when, um, when I first became a, a follower of Jesus and I started going to church, we, at, at that time, we would attend church. It was common that, to have church on Sunday mornings and then Sunday nights and then Wednesday nights and then your pastor would have this crazy idea to invite an evangelist to come and preach and then he would preach Saturday, Sunday, and sun, Saturday, uh, for, sorry, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. And then, so you'd go to church Friday, Saturday, and Sunday as well and then uh, Sunday night again and then the evangelist was really good then you would continue on Monday and Tuesday and they would just go on and you would... And, and everybody's like hoping it would go for weeks. And I'm thinking, no, it's, that's a lot of services. I, I got another life to live, you know. That, anyways, but we, we used to do that. One of the things that we had back then was um, in our Sunday evening service, we would have a time of testimony where the pastor would actually say, hey, does anybody have a, a testimony we'd like to share? Now, that's not advisable in a crowd this size. But in a smaller church, it's okay to do. But in a crowd this size, it gets a little bit crazy. But anyways, uh, there was anybody have a testimony to share? And people would actually get up and share testimonies. And it was like these real-time stories of God's faithfulness in their lives, of deliverance, of healing, of, of miracle, financial miracles, of miracles of salvation, miracles of, uh, 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 you know, all kinds of different miracles, miracles where somebody would get a job when they were asking for a job, and God would provide in a, in a miraculous way. They tell these stories, and I remember that. It's no wonder, it's no wonder that during those services, young people like me would get called to the mission field. That's what happened in a Sunday night testimony service. Or people would crowd around an altar of prayer and just cry out to God. Or there would be miracles of healing taking place, or, or somebody would walk into church totally lost and disconnected from Jesus Christ, and, and the presence of God was so thick and so rich in that, split, in that place that they would leave that building set free from the power, with, the, from, with the power of God. I mean, that's, that's what would happen. I think that God wants us to remember what he has done in the past. He wants us to remember the things that he's done in the past so that we are fueled for what he wants to do tomorrow. <clears throat> part of seeing as God sees, part of seeing a preferable future is to recognize what God has done in the past. So my question to you is, what has God done for you? What miracles has he performed in your past? So God tells Joshua, I know that that's not how I did it before, but I'm gonna do something different. I'm gonna do something new. Sometimes I think that what is faith for us back then is really not faith for us today. Like I remember when we first started Life Church. When we first started Life Church, we were meeting in the Corvo Rec Center here, and um, we had like zero members, okay? <laughs> nobody, nobody even knew about Life Church. We were inviting everybody, just come to Life Church. And when you have zero members, you have zero income. But yet we kind of launched out of faith, we're going to go ahead and rent this place and, you know, and hope for income and all that kind of stuff. Anyways, but we, I remember when we first started, it took a lot of faith to believe God for a church to be built, it did. And yet, this is where we are today. But here's what I need to say to you. It doesn't take a lot of faith for me to stay here 15 years later. In fact, if I could, if I wanted to, I could say, you know what? 2019 was such a great year. 2020 really stunk. But 2019 was such a great year. I think we're, I think we're just going to stay at 2019. 
It doesn't take a lot of faith to do that. You see, God is not about settling in. God is always about pushing forward. He's always about greater things. He's always about pioneering. Because of that, you and I need to pursue God and press into the future knowing that he has something new and fresh for us. Only then are we truly living a dependent life upon God when we're trusting him for the future. So God tells the Israelites in Joshua 3, he says, consecrate yourselves for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. So what does consecrate mean? The word actually means to kind of separate yourself, to separate yourself for a sacred activity. Okay, that's what the word consecrate actually means. It's equal to the word of holiness, right? Holiness is this idea of separating yourself from the world and separating yourself unto God. And that's the idea of holiness. And that's really what consecrate is, right? So it's this idea of, of separating yourself. And I love that God tells Joshua here, he says, consecrate yourself for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. All of us love the amazing. All, how many of you want an amazing paycheck this week? I want an amazing paycheck. Uh-huh. Mine is the same. But anyways, I, how many of you want an amazing relationship with your wife? Guys, you better raise your hand. I gave you an easy one, <laughs> right? Uh, we, want ama- we want our kids to amaze us. We want an amazing job. We want all the amazing. But you have to understand, there's a pattern here. There's a direction here. It's consecrate yourself, then I will do the amazing. That's the process. Sometimes consecrate means that I need to get rid of some things in my life that should have never been there in the first place. That I need to really look inside and say, okay, these are the things that need to go. This is stuff that's keeping me from a relationship with you, Jesus. And it's not just about, it's not just about adding Jesus to your life, to your, here's my current life. Jesus, will you come and just be like an accessory? You know, I'll take you on. I think too many of us operate that way, that he's basically an accessory in our life. You know, I, I, I go to church on Sundays, and you know, oh yeah, I drop something in the offering every once in a while. He's an accessory, right? That's not what Jesus wants. That's not what consecrate means. Consecrate means I'm going to give you everything, God. In fact, the New Testament language for this, Jesus uses, he says, take up your cross and follow me. That's the same language of consecrate in the Old Testament, is take up your cross and follow me. This idea of cross, this idea of consecrate, this idea of, of follow me, all that has this, this notion of dying to myself and taking on his life. And some of us, for us, that's what consecrate means. For others of you, it's about redefining the mission of your life. Why do you exist? Why are you here on planet Earth sucking in air every single day? Why do you exist? Seriously. I think there's a lot of us, especially in our Western world and our, um, you know, American dream mentality is we exist to work really hard and make a lot of money and leave an inheritance for our kids. And I'm not saying that's a bad idea. Do it. But that's not why you exist. That's not your purpose here on earth. That's not why you have been given the breath of God and, and, the, and the ability to live and wake up every single day. That's not why you exist. So part of this, part of consecrating myself is coming to this place and saying, God, I know why I exist. I exist to please you. You need to be the center of my life. It's discovering that. For others of you, for those of you consecrating means that you're going to take a stand and start identifying with Christ. And you're no longer living in secrecy concerning your faith in Jesus. You're going to identify with Jesus and you're going to do that in a public way. 
I mean, I look back at my own life. In 1984, I remember it was in one of those Sunday night services. And there was a missionary speaking. His name was Billy Burr. And he spoke. And I remember going up to the altar of prayer. And I said, okay, God, I'll go. I feel like you're calling me to missions. I will go. And so I did, made that decision at that point. But then after the decision, I realized, how is that ever going to happen? I'm a poor immigrant kid. I just moved from Panama to the States. I, I'm living in government-subsidized apartments. And, you know, I mean, I, I don't have any money. How am I ever going to get to Bible college? How am I ever going to, you know, even end up on a mission field? That seemed like an impossibility. I don't even know how that's going to happen. But yet what God was saying was, I want you to consecrate yourself. Start with consecrating yourself. So we consecrate ourselves, right? And we just walk in that direction. I, there's a lot of details between that, but in 1993, I remember it. By 1993, we had been, I had been to Bible college. I had graduated. I had planted a church. And on March 5th, 1993, my whole family, we landed in Bangladesh to start our term there. And we lived there for nine years. And this, you know... This is a part of our faith journey. God has you on a faith journey. Now, why am I telling you this story? Because most of you in this room, you've heard this story, or part of this story at least. You know that we were missionaries in Bangladesh. Why am I telling you that? Why do you think I'm talking about me having to respond in faith? Because I have to look back. I have to see what God has done past tense so that I can understand what God wants to do future tense. And this is where we are. All of us are. In fact, we have this phrase around here that we use all the time, and we, we, we've used it so much that you start coining it back to me. Like, there's been a few times where I've been like, yeah, you know, I'm talking to somebody in the church. I'm like, yeah, I'm just really, I'm not so, I'm kind of discouraged, you know, about this or about that, you know. And they'll, and they'll repeat it and say, well, some guy even said this. Yeah, some guy I know told me that go after something so big it's destined to fail unless God intervenes. I'm like, yeah, thank you very much for reminding me of that. Because that's what we do. We say that. We say all the time, go after something so big, it's destined to fail unless God intervenes. And that's really home base for us. That's what this church wants to be about. It's always going into tomorrow. Always going into the future of what God has in store for us. Sometimes it means it's a left turn. It's not the Red Sea. It's the Jordan River. And it's not a it's not a, a staff parting the waters. It's actually in faith and obedience stepping in and just letting the waters part as God does it. It's a little scarier. <clears throat> I think sometimes we play at faith. Right? We have a safe faith. It's predictable. It's rational. It's intelligent. It's well-defined. And we're okay with that. But God wants us to be people who have a pregnant kind of faith. One that's not as predictable. One that's not as rational. One that's not as planned out. One that God is the author of. So please hear me when I say this, because I'm convinced of this. This word is for us, Life Church. Right? Consecrate yourselves for tomorrow. I will do amazing things. So are you ready to get your feet wet? Are you? Okay, one person is. I think I heard one person say amen. Just one of you are. <laughs> are you ready to get your feet wet? Are you ready to say, God, whatever you have for our future, that's what we want? That's what we're going for? Amen? Of course, yes. So here's, let me tell you a few things that I think. 
Here's stuff that I've been praying about and just asking God for and, and kind of getting some clarity, trying to get some clarity about it. And so here's what I'm believing God for. I'm believing God that in the next months and years to come in this building, thousands and thousands of people are going to turn their life over to Jesus Christ. Amen. You can clap for that. I want that. I'm believing God for that. I'm believing God that marriages, hundreds of marriages are going to be restored. In fact, this week, can I name you? Can I say your name? Okay, he's good. Uh, I was meeting with Ryan back there. He's in our tech booth back here. And he was telling me about how just recently that on the week of, it was, it was divorce paper signing week. Divorce paper signing week, and God did some miraculous things, spoke to him, he wrote a letter, and God just changed everything around until they are still married. Amen. And I'm believing that God's going to do hundreds and hundreds of those. I'm believing that we're going to experience a generosity from within these four walls, and believe me, you are a very, very generous church, but I believe we're going to experience a generosity from within these four walls that's just going to blow us away. That what our yesterday was is going to be nothing compared to what our tomorrow is. I believe that. I'm, I'm, in fact, I'm believing that, that because of your generosity, this building that we're in right now is going to belong to Life Church at some point. Right now it doesn't. Yeah, amen. We could do that. That's what I'm believing God for. I'm believing that while you are generous in helping us secure this building as our permanent location, at the same time we're going to leverage hundreds of thousands of dollars to, to send the missions all around the world to touch people who are lost and disconnected, to continue doing the things that we've been doing from the day one here at Life Church. This is our preferred future. This is our tomorrow. Listen, I want to live in a reality that God has created. I don't want to live in a reality that I can conjure up, that I can manufacture, that I can make happen because of my good job or because of my talent or my abilities. I want to live in a reality that God has made. And it's defined by risk and danger and trust and faith. That's the reality I want to live in. So, I ask you again, are you ready to get your feet wet? Amen? Amen. So, what does it mean to consecrate yourself? Okay, so let, let, let me just be practical here, okay? First thing is that consecrate yourself involves evalu evaluating your faith. So, asking yourself in a very honest way right now while you're sitting here is asking yourself, where am I in my relationship with Jesus Christ? Where am I? Be, be real about it, too. You don't have to tell anybody. Of course, if you're married, you'd be talking to your spouse. But, but, uh, but really, where are you right now? Because I think too often we navigate this way. We walk our Christian walk by, by having an, an, an image, an idea of what we want to be. But we're not living that because our everyday life is not, it's not marked by that. And so... What we want to be, that's what we pretend to be in front of everybody else. But let's be honest. Where are you right now in your faith? Are you struggling? Are you struggling with an addiction? Is your relationship, your marriage relationship or your other relationships, are they, are they struggling so much that you're living anxiously and in and, and, and fear? Are you battling with a, a sense that, God, I don't feel like you're present in my life, and I don't even know if you're real. Maybe you're doubting the existence of God. Maybe you're doubting that God is a good God in your life. Where are you in reality? Evaluate your faith. Ask yourself, where are you? And then, once you come to that place, once you know, once you're sincere with God, then you say, God, here, it's yours. 
I consecrate myself to you now. From this day forward, it's yours. I'm not going to worry about these things anymore. I'm not going to carry these things anymore. I'm going to let you carry them. So evaluate your faith. Secondly, I want to encourage you to join a life group. Now, you might think, well, that's out of the blue, Rich. Why are you talking about a life group when we're talking about faith? And Well, here's the deal. Chastity said it earlier. She said, you know, it's one thing to sit in rows like you are right now and you hear me preach, but it's kind of one-sided. You know, you're a little bit more responsive. You're clapping. You're saying amen and all that kind of stuff. But, but it's, it's pretty much one-sided. I don't get to hear you. You're hearing my story. You heard my story. In 1984, I felt called to the mission. I don't know your story. See, sitting in rows is one thing. But sitting in circles is another. And when we sit in circles and we, we begin to share our lives with each other and we begin to share our faith with each other, it's amazing what God can do. It's amazing how you grow spiritually. In fact, that is one of the key. That's why we talk about life groups all the time because it is key. It is key for you growing spiritually. So then here's how this works. You're tomorrow. You might be sitting here in church and you're thinking, man, God, I, I just, I feel like this is what you want to do with my life in the future. And you have this plan, you have this destiny, and you really want to do this, and you know you want to do it, but who do you talk to? Well, you go to your life group and you sit down and you say, hey guys, this is what I'm dreaming about. This is what I've been thinking about. This is what God's been speaking to me about. And here's the cool thing. You, you have these life group people around you, like I had when I was a young man, who came around you and started saying, hey, I've been, man, that is awesome. That's encouraging. Some of them would actually give me practical advice on how to go to Bible college. I didn't know how to become a Bible college student. They gave me practical advice on how to do that. They prayed for me, and they encouraged me along the way. Sometimes they kept me accountable because there was a few times where after I heard that calling, there's a few times I still felt like I was, you know, my last year of engineering. I'm like, no, nah, I think I'm going to be an engineer and not, not go to Bible, not be a missionary. And they would come along and say, wait, 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 did God say you're going to be a missionary or an engineer? What did he say? And I just say, well, okay, missionary. So, well, you know, so kept me accountable. That's what a life group is. And so I want to encourage you, challenge you to join a life group. That's where your faith, that's where your faith begins to grow. It's part of consecration. And then I want you to, last thing is I want you to test your faith by risk, taking a risk. Um, I, I, one of the things, I use the word risk. And I, this is a word that I use frequently. And I think sometimes when I use that word, some people like it. Some people like cheer, cheer me. And then other people like, no, I don't know about the Christian faith being like that. You know, they, they ch feel challenged by the word risk. But here's why I talk about it. Because I think we can, it's easy. I've done this myself. Where I can come to church, sit in church, hear a lot of great ideas, be encouraged to do things and to pursue a certain life of faith. And I'm excited and I talk about it. And I, I even go to my life group and I talk about it in my life group about what God's calling us to do and all that. And then it's time to put my foot in the water. And then I'm like, oh no, that, that's a little scary. We step back. When I was a missionary and we were traveling, I was traveling around raising support. I can't tell you the number of places I would go and I would preach. And after I would preach, somebody inevitably, almost in almost every location, they'd come up to me. Somebody come up to me and say, "Yeah, God called me to missions you know, like 30 years ago. I never went. Yeah, God called me to do this, but I never did that. And it's because of that risk factor." Sometimes you've got to put your foot in the water, even when it doesn't look like it. Take a risk. Take a risk. Maybe your risky move right now as we're talking about is start tithing at Life Church. You, you have a lot of ideas, and maybe you've, you've, uh, you've justified why, why tithing is not, you know, God does not require you to tithe right now. 
maybe. But maybe what God's calling you to do is to take a risk and start tithing. Improve God. For some of you, it might be to, you know, men, is sit down and have that honest conversation with your spouse, with your wife. Like sit down with her and say, listen, honey, I want to talk to you. I know that you and I have been struggling about different things and particularly some how I am with you, but I just want to become vulnerable with you. I want to lead the way here. I want to be vulnerable with you. I want to talk to you about um, why I'm struggling, and, but I want to be a better husband. So how, how can I be a better husband? What can I do to become a better husband? Man, it takes a lot. And it's risky. But maybe that's what God's calling. For, for others of you, it's about <clears throat> just identifying with Jesus Christ. Like you are a Christian, you will say you're a Christian and somebody asks you directly at work, you'll say you're a Christian, but outside of that, they may not see it. They may not recognize, they may not even know that you're a Christian because you're not really living it that way, living that way. You're with the crowd. And so maybe Jesus is t- calling you to take a risk and identify with him. For others of you, it's about discovering your purpose in life. Why do you exist? We say this all the time around here. We exist to give our lives away to others. That's why we exist. When you're a follower of Jesus Christ, we are following his pattern. He came to this earth, lived on this earth. He did miracles, he did all kinds of things. But ultimately what he did is he gave his life for us. That's why I don't apologize about asking about generosity and asking to give because Jesus gave everything and he calls us to do exactly the same, to give ourselves away. And so... Yeah, going to work and earning an income and saving for retirement and leaving an inheritance for your kids is awesome. Keep doing that. But how are you giving your life away in service to others? In fact, I won't be surprised if this year somebody comes and taps you on the shoulders and says, hey, by the way, we really need somebody to help us on this team, this serve team. Will you join the serve team? And if that happens, you should say yes. Yes, absolutely. Because it's part of your future. God's going to do amazing things tomorrow. Let's all stand faith requires concrete steps we can talk about faith all day long it's easy to hype up faith boy it is it's easy yeah miracles hallelujah this and every we could just we could do that it's so easy to talk about it but it requires concrete steps and so i'm challenging you today to ask yourself the question, what is, what is, what does consecrate mean for me? What is my next step? What do I have to do next? That's the challenge. You know, when I came for this message today, I was struggling because I like to be a little bit more specific about things. And I really was kind of arguing with the Lord about it. You know, I don't really want to preach a sermon. I want to preach a different one, <laughs> you know. And um, <clears throat> I felt the Lord very specifically just say, listen, I am, this is what he spoke to my heart. He says, I am already speaking to all of them. I've already identified in their hearts what I want them to do. I've already very specifically challenged them on lifestyle I've already done that just set the ground for them to respond to it so whatever it is the Lord has been speaking to you this is the challenge for you to step out 
step into that water. Do not say, hey, it's a great idea, Pastor Rich. Let me pray about it. No. It's time to take a step of faith. Amen? When I think about the children of Israel, when they came to the edge of the Jordan River, I mean, it was easy. They could have got to the very edge. Everything was set. They had heard words from God. Everything was right. Everything was set. They could have got to the very edge. And Joshua could have said, you know what? I really like how Moses did it. Let's just wait till God parts the Jordan River. He could have. But guess what? He would have just wandered for 40 more years in that wasteland and never enter into the promised land. There's a lot of, this speaks to us on a lot of levels. One of them is that you've been, some of you in this room, you've not been set free from Egypt yet. You're still in bondage to sin, and God wants to set you free. And if that's you, if you're here and you've never given your life to Jesus Christ, I want you to respond today. I want you to today give your life to Jesus Christ. Others of you, you are still wandering in the desert. You've been set free. Yeah, you say, I'm a Christian, but you're still wandering in the desert. You're still trying to figure out what am I supposed to do? And you're, you're trying to find identity in so many other areas of life. And really what Jesus wants more than anything else is for you to say, God, you are my Lord and Savior. You are everything to me. And there's some of you that have already crossed the Jordan. You know what it's like to be in the promised land. You know what it's like to live set free. And God's calling you to greater things today. Amen. I want to ask everybody to bow their heads, close their eyes. I want to just ask a direct question to everybody in this room, and then, and then I'll pray. But if you're here right now, your eyes closed, your heads bowed. If you're here right now, and you've never given your life to Jesus Christ, you would be... You, you would say, my life, I'm characterized my life by, I'm still, I'm still stuck in Egypt. I'm still a slave. I'm still in bondage. There's an addiction that has a grip of my life, or there's, a, there's you know, there, there, I've just never, never found hope or peace. I'm living in fear daily. If that's where you are right now, if that's you, if you've never given your life to Jesus Christ, you just simply, I just want to recognize you. You don't have to do it very, in a very big way. I just want to see your hand go up so I can recognize you and you can put it back down. So if you've never, thank you, thank you, thank you. All right. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to pray. You can look at me now. But we're going to pray. And we're going to pray for those who raise their hands and give their life to Jesus Christ. And if you've done that, will you do me a favor? Will you not just simply, will you not just simply raise your hand in service and that's it? Will you come to me or come to one of our pastors or put, fill out a card and let us know that you did that today so we can con connect with you. But what I'm going to pray for all of us, here's what we're praying about. God, my will versus your will. You have a plan. You have a purpose for my life. You have a destiny and you're calling me to consecrate myself because you're going to do amazing things tomorrow. And that's what we want to do. So today is just simply a prayer of consecration. God, we consecrate ourselves. We surrender ourselves. We give ourselves over to you. Whatever your purpose is, whatever your will is for our life, that's the direction we want to walk in. It's not going to be perfect. It'll have a few bumps and curves and turns and all that stuff, but that's what we want. Amen? Let's pray. Father, I thank you, God, that you're in this place and that you're speaking and that you're challenging us, that you're calling us, Father, to a greater future. There's a greater future in store for us. Father, and I know we use this kind of this Mac big language, Father, and it, who knows what it actually means, but Father, each one of these individuals in this room know exactly what their greater means, where they need to be, 
what God you're calling them into, the things that you're calling them to let go of. Father, for those this morning who raise their hands and say, I've never given my life to Jesus Christ and I'm not following him. He's not my Lord and my Savior. God, right now, will you convict them of their sin? Father, will you reveal yourself to them? Will they, may they know that you paid the price on the cross for them so that they could be set free once and for all. And that today, Jesus, if they confess their sins before you, you call them children. They're sons and daughters of yours, Father. Thank you for those hands that were raised this morning. Jesus, for all of us, as a church, as a community, will you help us into the future? Will you help us understand what you're calling us into? Will you help us, Father, to do the right steps now, whatever they might be? We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.